Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, uh, going through life, um, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where we are having to make a decision And the best kind of decision to make is one to pursue a good outcome. But let's be honest. There's a lot of times we just make decisions to avoid negative outcomes. That there's so many times in our lives that we kind of know how, if man, if I make this decision, if I go this route, um, man, all of a sudden I know things are not going to go very well. You know, as a husband, I have found myself making decisions that were said, hey, you know what? I want to, to bless my wife. I want to show her that I love her. And those are some really good decisions. Those are some good decisions that I, need, that I have made. Then I find myself where I'm making a decision where I go, you know what? I'm just going to try to not get in trouble. Um, I'm just going to try to not irritate her or do something that bothers her. Um, and those decisions begin to be in a place where they, they begin to be very self-centered. And we find ourselves trying to avoid these bad outcomes. We need to, that needs to be a trigger to us that we have now all of a sudden shifted into self centered decision-making, because most of the time, we just don't want the trouble, we don't want the headache, we don't want the different stuff. But what God has called us to do is to begin to make an impact into other people's lives. And Jesus came into our lives not to avoid difficulty and, and, and heartache for himself. In fact, he said that he showed up not to be served, but to serve. And that is Jesus still shows up on the scene not so that we can give him praise, although he is due all of it, but so that, we, so that he can serve us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, the, through his body. And that is what Jesus is still making himself known and manifest in this world today to serve others. And what we need to understand is as Jesus takes what he, his calling, what he is called and set up to do, which is to flip the script, that we think that there's going to be this, things are going to go in one direction, that it's kind of preset, and it's just going to all unfold. And then Jesus begins to come in and flip the way that that goes. And in fact, we find that Jesus has come to flip the script on everything. And let's look again at Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now remember, this is where Jesus Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He wants to everybody to understand what he is about. Then he ministers for about three and a half years, and then he goes to the cross. And this that whole time, he says, this is the framework I want you to have. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He reads this and says, this was talking about me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to build up, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. I mean, every place is doing, things are shifting. Everywhere Jesus enters, all of a sudden some good is taking place. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead 
of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Every place where there is this stuff that's just a mess, brokenness, hurt, ashes, despair, Jesus says, the reason I'm here, the reason the Spirit of God is on me is to begin to flip the script and turn these situations around. And that is what he is still doing today. And that has been the word that when we hear this word that I'm about to say, we need to immediately think that, okay, God is about to flip the script on something. And it is the word grace. Grace will always flip the script. It will always flip the script. And we're thankful for that because the thing is, is most religion says it's your job to change your script. You've kind of got a plot line. Your life's going in a certain direction. Things are, you've made a bunch of, a series of, of decisions that may or may not be producing a good outcome. And then we're going to take religion and we're going to take its rules and its precepts and all of its stuff that it does. And we're going to try to shoehorn that into your script and try to get that thing to turn around. And we find as we try to practice religion and we do all the stuff and, and all of a sudden we now find just another stressor. We find just another weight not something that made life better, but something that complicated life and then brought this layer of guilt and shame into us. But what we find in Jesus is not some place of religion, but a place of release. And let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. See, as we kick this series off on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus' resurrection was a signal to a whole bunch of resurrections. See, he was the first dead to come out of the grave so that all of us who were dead in our sins and dead in our brokenness and dead in the, the, the dead-end direction we were going in life could have real, genuine, true, eternal life. That is what this was about. That is what he did. That is what he came into. And it is by grace that we've been saved. It's not of us. We don't get to, we don't get to brag about it. It's something that he did for us. And we have to have an understanding that God's grace is who he is. He, he, that is what he does. And he begins to shift things now. As we begin to look at this, grace can be very exciting when you need it, but it can be really challenging when we're called to live in it. Grace is fantastic when you know you need it. But man, it's a totally different thing when you're the one that then has to, to be the one to be ministers of grace. So as we are seeing this, we can't just be people who are, who are so ready to, to re be recipients of grace and not also be people who are ready to minister grace. See, Jesus came that he may set, set the captives free and then he brings us in and he and has us be a part of that amazing thing. Now, if you've been around church for a while, 
um, we're about to cover a story um, that you are familiar with, okay? Um, if you've just been in America for a while, you probably are familiar with this story as well. It just goes hand in hand with Bible things. And so, and it was kind of the, the num- one of the number one uh, children's uh, stories that get told, which is funny because it's really kind of creepy. Um, and so, but uh, you go, it's a s- traditional Sunday school story. But just because you're familiar with it, I want you to, to take this in with a fresh lens, because sometimes we can think we kind of understand this story already. Um, But what we need to understand and see what this story is really about and what what this is really trying to communicate. And so we're going to look at the story of Jonah, okay? We're going to look at the story of Jonah and the big fish, or you grew up with Jonah and the whale, okay? And that's just a small part of it. It's one of the more dramatic parts of the story. But the whole point of Jonah being written wasn't so that we could document this amazing, you know, uh, aquatic experience that took place. That there was the heart of God being revealed in here. Now, there are those who take a, a very liberal approach to the concept of the story Jonah and say, you know what, well, Jonah... Um, was just kind of this Old Testament allegorical thing. We don't have to overly take it, take it too seriously because um, he gets swallowed by a fish and then he gets spit out three days later. And that's got to be metaphorical. We can't take that too literally, you know. And there are those who take that, they take the Bible seriously and they, and they take that view of Jonah into it as people who take Jesus's words seriously. And at Celebration Church, we are people who take Jesus's words seriously. We have to take the book of Jonah seriously, okay? Because Jesus said, it won't be on your screen, but I just want to remind you of this. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 39, as he was being asked for a sign for of who he was, that he was going and doing miracles, he was doing all this stuff, and, and a bunch of his detractors, it's like, oh, just give us a sign that you really are who, you, who everybody is saying you are, that you really are a Messiah. And, and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, and so the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the grave, And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation. So he's like, you I'm talking to, the men of Nineveh in the story are just as real as you. And they're going to stand up in judgment of this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus spends a good little bit of dialogue here tying in this story of Jonah, okay? And he said, okay, preacher, you know, I'm trying to track with you. I take Jesus seriously. He takes this, he takes this seriously. It's not an allegorical picture. It's not a metaphor for something that takes place. We're going to take this seriously. But, okay, I'm still having a hard time from my scientific perspective of this guy getting swallowed up by a whale and or fish or whatever it was, some big finned creature with a big mouth and a big stomach 
that swallows this dude swallows this dude up. I have a hard time with that. Okay, I get that. Um, but in the late 1800s, in fact, 1891, there's a story of this whaling vessel that was off the Falkland Islands. Guys named James Bartley that they were t- taking on this whale. This whale decided to take them on and smashed their ship. James Barley ends up in the water and this sperm whale that they're going after, um, and uh, which, which is known to swallow giant squid whole and all these things, it swallows James Barley whole. Um, and then another whaling vessel comes along, kills the whale, this is in August, August 22nd of 1891. It's hot, so they have to begin processing this whale. They don't realize James Bartley is inside this whale. They haul it over. They begin to process this whale. They get to its stomach, open it up 36 hours later, and there is James Bartley still alive 36 hours later inside this sperm whale in 1891. And so we have just a little more modern version of this, okay? So I get it that there's some places that, and I'm not here to, to you know, to try to, to say, well, we're going to d- suspend our knowledge. The scriptures don't ever ask us to suspend our brains. God gave us a brain, okay? What it says is to take my word above all. That's what he's asking. So as we look at this story, we see that this is a story we have to take seriously. Now, Jonah's is four chapters. You can read it out loud in under eight minutes, okay? It's not a big, long read. You can take it in at all one time. But we're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, here's his job is to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh um, is not an Israeli city. It's not a Jewish city. The Ninevites don't care about Jehovah. They don't care about the one true God. In fact, Nineveh is the capital city for the, of the Assyrian nation. And even non-biblical um, scholars look back at Assyria of that day. It was a Im- huge empire, and they were brutal. They were a brutal, brutal people. They would. There's documents of of them skinning their enemies alive, and then taking those skins and nailing them to the outside of the wall of the city of Nineveh as a declaration of "Don't mess with us." And then, just, and then just letting their, those people who have been skinned alive just die a slow death outside of the walled city. They were just brutal, and they're just much more graphic, much more horrific stories of this city of Nineveh. And Jonah is called to take a 500-mile journey to the east to go and preach against these brutal people who don't care about the one true God, okay? Now, Jonah... That could be a little intimidating, okay? This is a people, this is a nation who had been anti the Jewish people, anti-Israel, and this would have been the more modern equivalent of a Jew in 1944 being told to go to Berlin and preach against the Nazi regime. That's how Jonah would have felt, okay? That's how Jonah would have felt, And so it would have said, okay, well, that would be pretty scary. 
Because there's two options here. As Jonah responds to this, there's two options. That they either act like Ninevites and they fillet him, they attack him, he's marching to his death. Or there's another response that they take him seriously. And there is a place as we get into this story that Jonah was not afraid. As, 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 a, as a young child, I had always thought that Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. That, oh, I gotta go preach against this city and they're just atrocious and they're terrible people and I'm just, I'm nervous to preach and I don't, you know, public speaking makes me uncomfortable and, you know, and a, a, a bunch of those standard things. But there was, a, there, was a, there, was another, there was another side to this. There was another side, okay? And it was the side that the Ninevites might respond. They might respond. And as we get into this story, we see that Jonah doesn't run because he's afraid for his own life. Jonah is concerned that they're actually going to respond and connect with a God that loves them. And he does not want that to happen. Sadly, as much as it would be hard for a Jew in 1944 to walk into the heart of Berlin and preach a, preach a message against them and the thought that they would turn towards a living God and find forgiveness in the middle of their atrocity. That was Jonah's mentality. So now Jonah heads out and Jonah goes down. And so he's supposed to head east. And Jonah decides that he's going to go down to the city of Joppa, which is right there on the coast. And he found a ship. Um, and so it, wait, it was verse 3 it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa. And there he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, you have to understand, we uh, at this point understand the, how big the, no, the, the world is. But at, the, at that time, for Jonah, the furthest part on the planet was Tarshish was this, this city, this port city on the other side of the Straits of Gibraltar in, there in Spain. So he was going, literally, he got, was going to get on a ship and go as far away as he possibly could. Tarshish was as far as he knew existed. So here he is as he decides, he understands what God's asking of him, and he decides that he's going to go as far away from God as he possibly can. So he gets on there, and he pays, the, his, he pays his way on that. Um, folks, we, we get this here in church, but we need to remind enough, running from God always costs you. It always costs. And right from the beginning, we see he has to start shelling out just to put, create some distance, and he has to start shelling out, and he gladly pays the t ticket. Well, if you've grown up in, in church, you know the thing. He gets on the ship. The ship is crossing the Mediterranean. We don't know about how far they get, but then a storm comes up, and this is a bad storm, and this is a storm that freaks out people who are, who are sailors, and they're like, something is awry, and they all start praying to their own gods. And Jonah has gone down yet again, 
into the bottom of the ship, and he is hiding out there, and it's there in the bottom of the ship. Finally, he comes up, and he's like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I know why this storm is here. Um, I'm pretty sure it's me. I was supposed to go that other direction. And he says, he says throw me into the water. Um, these guys are afraid for their life, and they are still more compassionate. And they're like, nope, we can't do that. That'd be murder. We can't do that. He's like, no, seriously, I'm totally giving you permission. Chunk me in there. I'm pretty sure this is my fault. So they're like, all right. And they pray to just some God in the, in the universe somewhere. Don't hold us. This was this dude's idea. Hurl. And they chunk him in. Chunk him over, and he begins to go down. And sure enough, this is where then we find um, Verse 17, it says that now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, and then the storm just stops, just miraculously stops. And so in this, and this fish comes and swallows up Jonah. And at that point, I believe, begins to turn back towards the coast and head back towards Nineveh. And Jonah is now being carried back towards his destiny, even in his low point. Even in his low point is carried back towards his destiny. And we need to understand that God can use even our lowest points in our lives if we will give him those moments to begin to get us back on track. So many times we think our low points because we shouldn't have been there. And no, we shouldn't have been there. But we think they were a waste. We think they, were, we, they should just be scrapped. We just wish that they would just kind of be gone and forgotten. But God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't waste our decisions. He doesn't waste our locations. And God is so amazing at bringing good that he can take the junk that we do and the junk that is done to us and begin to bring about beauty instead of ashes. That is, he flips that script over and over and over again. And so here we find, we get into the second chapter of Jonah and we find that Jonah begins to speak and pray to God. And the bulk of chapter two is Jonah's prayer. And we're not gonna read the whole thing, but in verse one it says, but from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And he said, in my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. I love Jonah's confidence that even in his lowest point that he put himself in that he could talk to God and God would hear him. That he did not, okay, say, I've got I've to get out of this situation. I've got I've to get out of this mess. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to find myself and, and get myself into some sort of church service or I need to get myself into some sort of thing and clean myself up and then I can have a conversation with God. In the low place, he had a conversation with God. Please understand, no matter where you find yourself, God's ear is turned to you. Talk to him. Talk to him. That is your path out. Conversation with God. Talk to him. 
No matter where you find yourself, you need to lean in towards him. And then verse 8, we see those who cling to worthless idols turn from God's love for them. This is a little bit of foreshadowing of Nineveh because the Assyrian people had all sorts of violent um, ideal, um, idol gods that part of their conquest and part of their stuff is just part of them trying to appease their violent gods. And he, what he says is Jonah so understands God's heart and why he gave the number one commandment for the, in the 10 commandments that he gave the Jewish people as they waited for Messiah. Because once Messiah would come, he would create something new and fresh. But those 10 commandments were to guide the Jewish people during that time period. And that number one commandment, the very first one was have no other God before me. And it is not because God says, I made you, I'm it, and you better not have anybody ahead of me. Jonah understood why. It says, because Jonah understood this, that those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love. That's why he doesn't want us to have any other gods before him because if we turn towards that, we're turning our back on his love. That's why he doesn't want us to turn our back on his love. That he's the only source of love. We are designed and hardwired to run on love. That's why people keep keep finding it into our language. Well, what what should I do with my life? Well, find what you love and do what you love. It's getting us in the right direction. Well, who do I spend the rest of my life with? Well, find somebody you love. Well, what should I do? What kind of hobby? Man, do what you love. Do what you love. We're designed and we're, our, our society is trying to figure this out. But there's nothing on a human, on a regular level will be able to fill the spot that love himself has to fill that that is the only spot we can. And so here we see that Jonah understands that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But in the next verse, he says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Where is he saying all of these things about what he's going to do? He's saying it inside the belly of an animal. The natural process uh, is not going to be good. The immediate outcome is not, is he's not on the trajectory of being able to have a wonderful and hopeful future. But even in the middle of what seems like a complete and total dead end, he's like, I still know in God there's a future for me. I still know in God. That is his prayer. Not, Lord, please give me one. His prayer is, I know I have one. I know I have one. I know what you have for me. And he begins to decree that. And right after he decrees that, verse 10, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That whole time it was making its way under the storm, under the waves, under all those things, and gets him back over to the coastline where he should have been, and he is put out onto dry land. See, God can get you where he wants you to go, even if you detour along the way. 
Even if you detour along the way, God will still get you where he needs you to go. Please today understand that God's planned for your life. His, the scriptures say that his calling on your life, it's irrevocable. That what he built for you to do day one, he's still, you're still built for that. Like, but, but Brandon, you don't know the decisions I've made and, and the dumb things I've done and the dumb things I'm doing. I, I'm, I've blown it. There's bound to be, I'm bound to be on plan B or plan C or way down the alphabet. I'm bound to be down there and know what God built you for, he built you for. And God will get you to where you need. Yes, there's some detours. Yes, there can be some things. But God, if we will lean into him, I'm telling you, his grace will flip the script. And everything said that Jonah's moment was done, that he had now literally become fish food. And in his low moment, the God flips the script, and then now he comes out of that place. And we hear, now we catch up with Jonah in chapter 3. It says, and then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God will still speak to you. You're like, I didn't do right the first time. Well, it's all right. God will speak again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same destiny, same plan. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. It's a big city. For him to three days for him to walk through it. It says, and Jonah began by going uh, a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. So it takes three days to get through it, and he goes through the first day, says 40 more days. This is, the, this is what God's message was for him to declare. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. We see the little cartoons where the little Christian cartoonist decides, you know, he's going to try to put this story all in one little thing, and you, we see Jonah, and he's like got like little chunks of like dead fish hanging off of him and some kelp and stuff, other things that might be in a fish's stomach. And he comes out and he looks all slimy and nasty and he's walking and he says, repent. Um, that was not the message. Repent was not the message. Repent was get right, fix things. That was not the message. The message was 40 days, it's over. That was the message. Not you got a chance to fix it, not any of that, 40 days and this is over. That was the message. But the Ninevites believed God. This barbaric, angry, just brutal people. Jonah's message hit a soft place in their heart and they believed. And they believed. They believed that something was about to go down and they were about to be overthrown and they responded and a fast was proclaimed. If you were here for last week's message, we, you remember that Jehoshaphat, when he saw that things were about to go sideways and an army was gonna invade, he asked the people to seek God with him and he called a fast. This foreign king responds in a godly way and calls a fast. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth 
And then they begin to fast and they begin to pursue God. And when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. These people were inflicting all sorts of pain, all sorts of destruction on innocent people all around what we understand as the as modern-day Iraq and Iran. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. That's where it was located. And they were just wreaking havoc. And he's like, this is over. I'm, I'm putting an end to this. And they put an end to it by responding and repenting. And God said, that's what I wanted. And they, re- and they repented and they stopped. And you would think that Jonah would be like, bam, yes. Yes, we've seen peace come to an entire area. But in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Jonah didn't want them to repent. He did not want them to be able to have grace. He wanted them destroyed. He wanted them destroyed. He's like, this should be it. That should be over. These people are wicked, and they don't deserve grace. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And it made him mad. And he prayed to the Lord. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. He gets on the ship and he heads as far away, not because he was afraid of the Ninevites rejecting him and attacking him. He was upset about this. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He knew that if they responded, God would forgive them. And he did not want them forgiven. Folks, as we are being people who are being shaped by grace, who are so thankful that God flipped the script through grace, there are some people in your life who hurt you in such a way that part of the understanding of eternity and consequences brings you a little bit of peace that one day they're going to get theirs. One day they're going to get it. Maybe that police officer didn't do anything about it. Maybe that judge was blind and let them go. Maybe my mama didn't believe. Maybe all of these different things. But one day, one day they're going to get it. And that makes us hold on to hate. And it makes us hold on to this place where we're not called to carry that. And we will find ourselves in the place just like Jonah, running from what God has called and asked us to do, not because we're afraid to do it, but because we don't want 
somebody to receive his love and grace. We want them to get what's coming to them. And folks, there's a place where we have to embrace that, yes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But that is a beautiful thing. But we have to also go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like that person that hurt me. And even harder is amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like the person that hurt somebody I love. Because there's a place where we can take on a hurt and an offense for somebody that we love so dearly and maybe they've moved on and they've forgiven, but we're like, I didn't forget. And they need to get what's coming to them. And that hate and that anger will sit there and it'll seethe on the inside of us. And Jesus came to flip the script and set us free because what that is, is that a sin still having dominion in your life. It's that person's sin still having a place of weight and authority in your life. And we have to let God's grace come in. Folks, right now, the enemy is trying to bring such a divide in our country. And we have to, we have to understand the only thing that's really going to change our country and bring things where we believe is a place of peace and wholeness is for people's hearts to turn towards God. And we have to be excited when it takes place not sitting there hoping some judgment falls on somebody. We have to make sure, because here's the thing, is sometimes we can feel so right that God's grace feels wrong. And we can feel like we're so in the right that God's grace almost feels profane because that was so bad. And then that person doesn't, ju- doesn't deserve forgiveness. That group of people doesn't deserve forgiveness. That nation or whatever doesn't deserve forgiveness. And man, I'm telling you, that was what drove Jonah to flee. That is what had Jonah in the belly of the whale was him not wanting to see Nineveh forgiven. Verse three says, now the Lord, now Lord, Take my, away my life, for it is better for me to die. Jonah would literally rather be dead than see this group of people forgiven. Them being released and not having to deal with their consequences was unbearable for him. He would rather be dead. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah doesn't respond. And then Jonah had gone out and he sat down at the place to the east of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. He saw everything unfolding, but he kind of hoped. He kind of hoped to see what was gonna go down. You know, we can find ourselves keeping some social media connections just so we can check and see. Has it blown up for him yet? Has everything fallen apart for him yet? We can kind of keep him in our friend list and just see, man, someday it's going to catch him. I'm going to see it. Everybody's going to start talking about him and everything's going to catch him. That's what, that's what Jonah was doing. He didn't, have, he didn't have Instagram. He didn't have Facebook. So he had to go sit on a 
cliff. Let's see what goes down here. So he's sitting there and he's watching to see what goes down. And, and then in verse six it says, then the, the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah and it gave shade to his head and eased his discomfort. It was hot. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, the Lord provided a worm and it chewed the plant and it withered. And, and then the sun rose and, and uh, there was a, a scorching east wind. God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die again. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is. It's right. God says, is it right? He's like, yep. Yeah, it is. And we can find ourselves so feeling so righteous in our anger. And he says, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. And we need to understand that we need to let God's grace flip our script. The narrative going on in our minds, the narrative going on in our hearts. It says, but the Lord God said, you have been concerned about the plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also this place of many animals? I think he threw that in. Seems odd to throw in and also many animals. But I think because in Jonah's mind that Ninevites were no better than animals. And he says, all right, buddy, you think they're nothing but animals? I still care about animals. You think they're an animal? I still care about animals. And so at that place, and that's how the book of Jonah ends. The book of Jonah ends, don't you think I should care about these people? And that's God's word to us this morning. The places that we wish God didn't care about, though, his, his question is, don't you, don't you think I should care? And we're left with that question. We're left with it. We're gonna let God's grace flip our script because our bottom line this morning is limiting God's love will limit your life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.